Hey guys, and welcome back to the Ground Life Podcast. Today we are joined by venture capitalists and jeweler uh, and the owner of what's your newsletter called? A novice Investor. And the Novice Investor newsletter. And now a reality TV star, Killian Hillard. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. Right, to kick it off, can you just tell us a bit about your current role with Kenner Partners and what you do there? Sure, yeah. So I'm an investment director at Kenna Partners and um, joined a little over a year ago. Essentially, Kenna Partners is like a growth equity tech fund. We invest in like later stage software companies, help them grow and kind of ultimately exit and get a return on money. In terms of like what I do, I kind of cover UK and Europe in terms of finding new deals. So I do a lot of reaching out to CEOs and networking to try and find deals there's the kind of execution part of it, um, financial analysis, commercial, legal structuring, all that kind of stuff. And then there's also the value add of your current portfolio. The sitting on boards, figuring out ways you can help portfolio companies and CEOs build management teams. So kind of very all-encompassing. Um, but yeah, enjoying it a lot and it's going well. Nice. Uh, do you want to tell us about some of the most exciting companies you've invested in the past three to four years? Yeah, one interesting one um, that we invested in in June um, was called Esor Media. So essentially what they are is a digital shelf analytics platform. And they basically scrape a bunch of different uh, e-tailer platforms and e-tailer platforms like Amazon, eBay, etc. And they get lots of data on it. They transform the data and kind of publish actionable insights on it and the people they sell to are like really big cpg brands who have their products like l'oreal will have their products across amazon across like nearly thousands of e-tailers across the globe so it's very hard for them to manually keep track of it so e-store media actually provide analytics in terms of okay what's out of stock what doesn't have enough reviews on it what's missing photos so then the actual e-commerce teams just have a little dashboard okay, this should be in stock. We're losing sales because they're saying it's out of stock. We actually have stock or this photo's wrong or there's not enough reviews here. So they can just quickly fix problems and get a really strong ROI on it. And obviously 2020 was the year of e-commerce. Um, in the US, it grew like 40% in a year. And that's like the biggest increase historically. So they had an amazing 2020, really kind of grew every single CPG brand is like investing like crazy into e-commerce tech. So they've had like really, really strong growth and we're now helping the company enter the US market, which is very exciting as well. So that's that's a cool one. Um, do you plan on staying in this sort of career path for the rest of your life or do you think you could ever pivot and become a founder at some point? I guess who knows? I think in the short, medium term, um, I definitely want to stay as an investor. I'm very much enjoying it. Uh, I want to build on it. And yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a kind of great place to be where you get to kind of talk to all these very, very intelligent, very interesting founders. You get to put a bit of analysis to it. Um, so it's, it's a role that I really enjoy. So I've no immediate plans to become a founder or anything else. But who knows in the future? Maybe when uh, I get a bit older and a bit more mature, an opportunity might might arise. But right now, I'm perfectly happy as an investor. Nice. Can you tell us a bit about the charity work you did a few years ago in Uganda and what that involved? 
Yeah, that was good fun. Um, so he, he was a, it was with Nurture Africa. Um, I actually went as part of a Deloitte trip. I didn't actually work with Deloitte, but they had had it open to non-Deloitte members. And essentially, we kind of went went over. Obviously, you kind of raise money and kind of put plenty of money in yourself to donate to the charity. And then you go over and kind of do different project work. So we we did a lot of work on the actual finances of the charity. Because the idea is to take the skills of like professionals and apply them skills to the charity in Uganda versus kind of building a house. It's a, it's a bit different in terms of like your actual value add. So we kind of spent three weeks sitting down with the charity, kind of building better kind of financial models in terms of how to run it and making sure putting in different kind of workflows and stuff for the actual finance person. There wasn't a finance team there, but for the actual finance person. And helping them out so that that was um that was a great experience and you know you got to help out obviously the highest piece of value you give to the charity probably is the money you actually give them so you're doing good but then you also get to experience a really cool country like uganda's an amazing place um definitely up there one of my favorite countries that i've ever visited so that was yeah it was a great experience i listened back to your podcast with mark maxwell there when you were on a couple of years ago and it seemed like charity work was quite important to you back then. Is it's is it still something that you're still involved with? It in terms of me actually working with a charity is no longer. So I was did the nurture Africa. I was also with um it was a was mental health board. startup as well, I think. Yeah, exactly. I was on the board of a mental health charity, which was great. Um still kind of like donate to charity, but in terms of my like capacity to like sit on a board of a charity or really get actively involved, I just don't really have it. And I've kind of like, you can spread yourself too thin. You don't want to like join a board of a charity and then be kind of slowing down progress and not be able to put your full energy into it. So I kind of stepped away from that, like when moving to London and yeah, so not currently involved in the charity, maybe in the later years I'll rejoin. But right now, every minute of my time is taken up with different wild projects. So yeah, you seem to have so many side hustles on the go. On that, the novice investor, what was the motivation behind setting up a newsletter? Yeah, so the main one, um, and yeah, I guess it's not a side hustle because this isn't a moneymaker. It's more just, you know, creating content and trying to build a very specific community. But when you're an investor, you do a lot of networking, you meet a lot of founders, and a lot of times you'll have a great 20, 30-minute conversation you get on very well, but it won't be a fit. And you'll be like, okay, yeah, let's stay in touch. But a lot of times stay in touch just evaporates into nothing. And over kind of two or three years, that kind of call has just gone to waste. And there's no real relationship there. And they kind of forget about you. You forget about them unless you actively kind of watch them. So the idea with the novice investor newsletters, every time I speak to an investor, an advisor, or a founder, the end of the call i'll just ask them if they want to be included in the newsletter as a way to kind of passively stay in touch so every month they're getting an email from me that's hopefully in some way useful to them uh, and they enjoy the content so then when the time comes in a year or two if they have a deal that might be interesting like i'm top of mind and kind of partners is top of mind so it's an efficient way for me to stay in touch with all my network um and it kind of builds new network because Obviously, if you're getting kind of subscribers to the newsletter and put it out on LinkedIn, you get a lot of kind of new people who you don't even know signing up to it. And again, they know exactly what I want to invest in because included in every newsletter. If they come across a deal, they can give it to me. So that's really the, the focus. 
and doing something that has a lot of kind of follow-on benefits like as part of the newsletter i do kind of like book reviews and kind of like share the content i've come across during the month but kind of having that um target to kind of consume content you you actually end up kind of reading more books watching more things and that's obviously good for yourself in terms of becoming more productive and kind of becoming more knowledgeable of the world so definitely has some follow-on benefits for sure i was reading through your november uh one yesterday as a bit of prep and uh i was looking at that photo you put up from barcelona and the tech enabled retail concept store can you tell us a bit about yeah. that shop because it looked seriously cool yeah, it's pretty cool. So it was a company called Admira, and they basically have mainly focused on screens, but but um, it's kind of screens plus IoT devices for like retail stores. So they have like cool things, like you kind of walk into a store, and if if you kind of like if you're like say a, a customer, it'll know it's you. It'll put up the kind of products that you'd be interested in, where they have like integrations into. Oh, what's that sneaker marketplace like StockX or something like that? But they'll have like, say, like after our secondary market sneakers on the shelves that have like live prices connected to the actual marketplace. And then also in different retail stores, they do dynamic pricing. So obviously you walk into, I don't know, Waitrose or Sainsbury's, whatever, all the prices are printed out and they're static. But they kind of have tech that enables retail stores grocers to increase the price say on a monday evening when everybody's shopping or on a sunday evening when everyone's shopping so they can like get better margins and then reduce it in the low areas and then people know about this and you can kind of get more volume stuff like that so there's like they're basically just taking all kind of well-known tech in terms of iot and like bring it into retail and grocery stores which is pretty cool and that actually store itself was like a it wasn't open to the public. It was just like a concept store. And the founder basically is mad into sneakers. So we had all sorts of cool, uh, really rare sneakers and all this different tech. So it was really cool to see. I find in, like, I think you came across the store in, in Barcelona, but in, in so many of these sort of cosmopolitan cities, there are a lot of that, that kind of cool stuff out there. These pop-up stores or these kind of new concept stores, but they're hard to find sometimes. Do you have any tips or tricks on people that might be going away in, in the next while on how to kind of suss out the cool up and coming tech stores that might be around those cities. Ooh. Do I have any tips to find tech stores? Not necessarily. Cause I, I visited that company um, okay. as like an intro, as an intro, it was like a, a work trip. I was over there for a board meeting. I visited that company as like an introduction meeting and then they kind of walked me down to their kind of close to the public shop. So yeah, in terms of finding tech stores, I don't think I'm any easy there. Okay, okay. Well, we'll, we'll need to get a job with Canon Partners to, uh, to, to sort that one out then. <laughs> um, you seem to be very into productivity and well-being tech. What apps are you using at the moment and which would you recommend? Oh, quite a few. So one in terms of like organization, somewhere to put all my notes, my to-do lists is Notion. I'm sure you've probably heard of it. Um, it's like a note-taking app and has a bunch of different features in terms of like Kanban boards, and just kind of places to store documents. So that's kind of my like central place of work where I have everything. So that's pretty key. Um, a few easy wins are like Calendly, um, which is just the automatic calendar scheduler. That's just an absolute must have. It's free completely. And instead of sending three or four emails, trying to find time, you can just send one and it's done. 
it's a little bit arrogant sending it, but I kind of accept the arrogance for the efficiency gains. Trying to think, what are, and another thing actually I just got was I don't know if you heard the like Pomodoro method. Uh, it's basically like a kind of focused time management method where you pick a task, you set a twenty-five minute timer, and you just like block out all, you block out everything, and just focus, do twenty-five minutes of focus work. Then you take five minute break, then you do it again. Five minute break, you do it four times. Oh yeah, sorry, you, you mentioned take, that one in your new November newsletter. Yeah, yeah. So. That's another one I'm doing. Uh, I was using like an online timer in like a browser like Chrome, but I found that was kind of distracting because then you go through your browser to check the time and all that kind of thing. So I bought a piece of very rudimentary tech, which I'll show you here, but no one else will see, which is just like a Pomodoro timer. Um, so it's literally just a timer. You wind it up 25 minutes and then it rings a bell. So that's actually been very useful since January. Nice. Um, you strike me as someone who's probably pretty big into a morning routine and evening routine. Do you have one? Yeah. So I work best in the mornings. That's when I'm a bit of a morning person. Um, I've always been able to get up early. I don't get up extremely early at the moment. I usually, my alarm goes off at 6.30 and I'm not able to get out of bed straight away like a lot of people. That's, I find impossible. So I kind of read for 10, 15 minutes. And then three days a week, two to three days of the, the actual weekday weeks, I'll go to the gym. And then the other days, I will do a bit of work on kind of side projects before my kind of Kenneth Partners work starts at 9 a.m. And then evening in January, social, I'm kind of doing dry January like a lot of other people. So my social calendar is pretty limited, but just kind of doing activities. I might go for like a short run in an evening or getting into badminton quite a lot in the evening okay but generally yeah yeah it's a, it's a lot of fun I never played before but it's great yeah. but, but generally in the evenings like once i finish like my kind of real kind of partners work i'm pretty out of energy and i kind of leave it to leisure okay uh when you read in the morning is it nonfiction that you read like is it something just to try and ease you into the day or do you kick straight off with a business book it's Depends. So I give myself a target of like 12 books per month. And I do indulge in fiction, especially when I have like a very kind of heavy business book I'm not enjoying too much. So if it is one of those, if I am going through like a difficult book, I'll probably read fiction. Otherwise, if I'm enjoying the business book, it'll just stick to the business book. And do you have any other sort of uh, hacks, I guess, you incorporate into your daily lifestyle in terms of? limiting phone exposure in the morning or limiting phone exposure in the evening uh meditation or anything like that not like like everyone i try to limit phone exposure but i'm not very successful at it like i always try to not look at my phone in the morning because the last thing you want is like lots of negative toxic energy coming in if you got an annoying whatsapp or they say check your phone in the morning and you lose your autonomy yeah exactly so ideally like i like to check my phone after the gym but that happens I'd say 10% of the time, um, cognizant of it, but not something I've really focused on um, to improve on just yet. So that's, I'm probably still getting a, a D minus on that one. Well, that could be a New Year's resolution for you. Um, yeah. I read that you're beginning to dip your toes into NFTs. What's your thoughts on the space in general? I think it's obviously a pretty hot space and like, 
I mean, if you're coming into it cold, it just seems absolutely ridiculous that somebody is paying three, four hundred k for a picture of an ape that anyone can uh, copy and paste. So there definitely is that, like, this is crazy view of the world. Sorry to interrupt but actually, you, but on that, can you tell us your thoughts on why it's beneficial to buy the ape for 400 grand instead of just copying and pasting it? Well, yeah. Well, one is basically you're part of a community if you actually own the ape. Um, so that's probably one. Two is you can just take... A, so one of the, the key use cases that got like the, the apes and the crypto punked off the ground was everyone or a lot of people online don't like putting up a picture of themselves as their profile. So they want like some kind of cartoon, some kind of avatar. And this was like the perfect use case for crypto punks and, and the kind of apes. So people did that. Obviously, you still could just take a picture of the ape or a screenshot, put that as your profile picture. But Twitter, Jack Dorsey announced recently that they're actually coming out with a piece of tech that will you know, cross-reference or verify your Twitter versus who actually owns that, that NFT. So they can put a little tick beside your picture of the ape to show that you actually are the legitimate owner. So that's like a, an indicator of where things are going. So in the future, you can't like taking a screenshot actually won't be as beneficial as owning the real thing. And okay, then the other, so much cloud. Yeah. And then the other thing, obviously, is NFTs kind of like hot market. People are saying it, it could go up in value. So it's an asset at the end of the day. So if you buy an actual ape, it's an asset that could be worth more. If you take a screenshot, they didn't pay anything for it, but it's also never going to be worth anything. Outside of art, where else do you think NFTs could have a lot of use case? Like I'm reading some people are saying it could be the future for sporting tickets that you could buy your ticket as an NFT. And then if it turns out to be an amazing match that you attend, like a Champions League final, you then potentially put your NFT for sale on, on OpenSea and it could go for 10, 10x what you, what you bought it for. Yeah, that, that, that sounds like a very cool use case. It's quite a lot. Like, um, oh my God, I forget his name. Yeah, Gary V. So he has a, a new NFT coming out, which I thought was pretty cool. I essentially think like a private members club, like an Annabelle's or like a country club that it's kind of hard to get into. You pay your subscription every year and then you get in. He's starting like a restaurant. I think the first one's in New York City. And essentially there's a limited number of NFTs and the NFTs give you essential ownership of a table in the private members club. So you buy it, you have it forever. And then if you actually, if you want to actually go to the, to the restaurant slash private club, you need to show that you own the table. And then also, obviously, you're not going to be in a restaurant 24-7 or for every opening hour, but you can rent it out to other people. So you buy the table and then you can actually kind of lease, rent it out, get revenue off the NFT. So that's very cool. And then the other one that I think is brilliant is, I don't know if you ever heard of Zedrun. Yeah, yeah, I, I, own, a, I own a horse. <laughs> you own a horse, yeah. So I think that's like such... Such a brilliant use case for NFTs because you know they're all unique. Some are worth well, more than others. My one's gone down about eighty percent. So probably not. Probably not good <laughs> to pitch, right? Uh, yeah. So, so it's like di digital horse racing, and you own a horse, which is an NFT. You can't copy it. You can't breed it and create more, which is pretty cool. So, I think that's like fantastic use case. Um, so, yeah, there's a few out there, and you'll probably see loads more. And then I see like music NFTs are like really popping off at the moment. 
I actually don't have an opinion on them. I haven't looked into them or how they work. Um, will do, but it sounds like they're getting a lot of traction, so that must be pretty cool. Um, so on that, do you want to tell us about the Dana projects and the NFTs you're looking to release with them? Yeah, that'd be great. So Dana project is my side project. I started a couple of years ago. Essentially, I turned a, a quite a random hobby of making jewelry uh, in a shed into like a, a brand. And the brand is Dana project. It's sustainable fine jewelry. It's all like handmade in Dublin city center, just off Grafton street, actually but like veteran goldsmith. So really kind of high quality, fine jewelry. I've been selling that online and in stores for the past couple of years, kind of sells in Ireland, UK, internationally. Um, it's always been like a cool project. It kind of let me dip my toes into the water of uh, entrepreneurism. It's also a great creative outlet for me because I, I do have a creative side that I like to keep building on. Um, so it's been great, but obviously it's super disconnected to what I do kind of day-to-day nine-to-five which is kind of investing in tech companies like it's very hard to see any connection between the both but the kind of idea came to me to kind of create nfts where it kind of takes my skill of jewelry design and kind of and takes my kind of passion interest in technology and kind of combines them both perfectly so so that's my plan is to release donna project nfts and basically, to kind of go into that, essentially, this year, I set myself a goal to design like 12 silver pendants. And I'm going to, on the launch date or the first launch of the NFTs, I'll be releasing like three of them. And then like, I'll make each one unique. So it might be like 30 or 50 NFTs. But the kind of cool thing about the NFTs is that, one, it's it's going to be excessively priced. It's not going to be 300K. It's not going to be a K. It's going to cost the same of... of of a silver pendant so it's going to be like 100 to 150 euro the other cool thing or at least i think it's cool is that when you mint the original nft you actually get the silver pendant of the model so reason i'm doing this is because i don't want to like i don't want to kind of like scam anyone i don't want anyone to lose money so even if you mint an nft and the market just drops and it's worth zero at least you'll still have a silver pendant from Donna Project that's actually worth 100 to 150. So it's a great kind of, if you don't really, never got an NFT before, it's a great kind of low risk investment into the NFT space. So yeah, that is that is the project. My plan is to launch on 31st of March. So I'm just going pretty balls out just to really kind of get this project live. Um, actually just started a Discord, which I'm going to promote pretty soon to try and build a community because that's kind of key. And I guess I've given my background, I'm not a NFT or a crypto expert. So like the next two and a half months is very much a learning journey for me. And it's, you know, a bit of a learning project. So in the actual Discord, I'll be kind of asking questions. I'll be looking for advice and looking for as much help as I can get. And the whole idea is people who help, people who join the community early, we'll get some kind of like Genesis NFT where you get like airdrops, discounts to really make it worth your while to get involved. So very excited about that. And that's probably my main focus outside of Kennet for the next two and a half months. How did you get into jewelry? Yeah, it's a bit of a, bit of a random one. It was actually, it was January. I don't know how many years ago. It was probably like six, seven or eight years ago. I was doing dry January like I am now, but I had kind of less things to keep me busy. And one weekend, 
obviously wasn't going out. So I was like, okay, what we do? And uh, a friend and I kind of saw a YouTube video, how to melt down kind of like beer cans, aluminum beer cans into like molten aluminum. So we kind of build uh, this. As you do when you're just scrolling through YouTube on, on a dry January. Yeah, yeah, it's extremely random, but yeah, we somehow came across this video and we were like, oh, that, that looks like a lot of fun. I was pretty, like, you kind of built this little rig, you have, like, coal and, like, a hair dryer to make it, like, super hot. And, like, after a kind of full day, we actually were able to melt down aluminum, which is really cool. And then we kind of, like, had the, the kind of molten metal. And I was like, you know, I've always wanted a ring, but I never wanted to buy one. I wanted it to kind of be personal to me. I was like, oh, why don't I just make my own one? That'd be super cool. So did that. And that's what kickstarted, and then just got super interested. I like the kind of creative part of it. It's very kind of meditative, just sitting at a, a workbench, working on a ring for like hours on end. You're not looking at your phone or anything like that. So just really enjoyed it. Did a few courses. Became okay at making jewelry, uh, okay enough to actually design it. And then yeah, decided I wanted to get some entrepreneurial experience. So I started the brand, which is Donna Project. And with these NFTs, so if I bought an NFT of this um what are you calling it the well the nfts be called donna project nfts yeah, if i bought a don project nft and then i mint it and you send out the the silver ring if i then sold on that nft i i would keep the silver ring though wouldn't i yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't expect you to go post <laughs> it on so yeah so yeah so it's kind of, it's TBD on how this is going to work. Um, again, I kind of want to get community input, but essentially if you're the first one to mint it, you will get the jewelry. If you sell it on, the next person won't necessarily get the jewelry. Yeah. And there's a bunch of different ways you could do this. You could have like the actual NFT itself is going to be the 3D model of the pendant. Uh, each one will be colored slightly different. It'll be like a video of it spinning around. Maybe if it's like, you know, maybe if it is like not as... If, the, if no one has claimed the jewellery, it might be like brighter colour. And then if someone actually claims the jewellery, it might like go down slightly in colour just to kind of differentiate so everyone knows what each one is. Um, but really, I don't know yet. I'm going to, once the kind of Discord kicks off properly, I'll kind of put that into the group and, and see what everybody thinks. Cool. Uh, let's get on to Maiden Chelsea. Uh, talk us through your <laughs> thought process in deciding to join the show. And did you have any reservations about it? Yeah, so pl plenty of reservations. Um, so, yeah, so I was kind of dating Kurt Smith, who is my girlfriend now. And she's obviously kind of main character on the show. She, I guess, all the producers, it's a reality TV show, so they want to keep it as real as possible. So if somebody is dating someone and they kind of fit the profile, they kind of invite them onto the show. So she really wants me on, onto the show. Um, the producers really want me on the show. So... Ultimately, I thought it was like an experience you can't really turn down. It's so unique. Very little people like would get the opportunity to go on any kind of reality TV show. So that kind of part of me that likes the exciting part of life, life and trying new things kind of overwhelmed the reservations and I joined. But yeah, I think the key reservation was like, okay, you know, I'm in, in the finance world. Um, is it going to look bad on me for like joining some reality TV show? were my initial thoughts but I kind of surveyed a lot of my friends a lot of different people and kind of got people's feedback I pretty much none of them said it'd be bad I said like why not go for it so that kind of gave me comfort and kind of partners obviously happy with me to join it and go on the show so yeah there's definitely reservations 
but I think it was the right decision and it was kind of good fun, good experience and I'm happy to have done it. How do you work in shooting for Men Chelsea while being full-time with work? Yeah, so you can shoot outside work hours, uh, which is pretty handy. A lot of times they shoot on the weekend. And for me, I just said it has to be after 6 p.m. Um, so I just go to the shoot after 6 p.m. if it's on a weekday. And yeah, it's like, I, like I'm not shooting every day. Each kind of scene, if you saw any of the episodes, is just kind of like one, two hour, one, two hour, three hour sit down. And yeah, that's it. It's only in three scenes. So it happened like three times over kind of like September or October. And with that, will they book out, say if you're doing a shoot in, I don't know, some cafe, they book out the entire cafe or they just book out the table and then it'll be business as usual everywhere else? Um, 90% of the time, whatever place we're in, is just totally closed down and they have like extras in the background. Okay. And just like a load of cameras and stuff. It was actually a bit, it was a bit overwhelming kind of like walking in on the first set. I thought it'd be kind of like one person and a camera, whereas it was like 30 people and like six cameras and loads of extras. So it was a little bit intimidating, but thankfully it's not scripted. So I can just, you know, say whatever I have to say. I don't actually have to act because if I was acting, it just like wouldn't work. I, can't, I cannot act. It's just one skill I do not possess. On that, when when there's cameras around and you're doing a, a scene in Maiden Chelsea where you might be talking about a, a girlfriend or something and, and someone's asking you, do you like her or do you not like her? And you're, Maiden Chelsea want you to be authentic and give the, the true answer. But surely, I'm not saying you in particular, but anyone on the show will clearly be aware that they're shooting right now and that it's not beneficial for them to speak badly about someone or or say something that could get them into trouble. Yet it seems to happen all the time. Like, why do people, why do people act? Why, why do people show them true selves when shooting, when so much of the time it's not within your interest to be totally honest? Yeah, well, I guess you just got to look at the kind of different interests. Like, if, like for a lot of people, kind of made Chelsea is like a career path. So like, it's like a real honor to be on. It's an honor for me to be on it as well. But like producers of a reality TV show want reality. So like you're incentivized to speak how you feel in front of the cameras and kind of show everything. So everyone's kind of incentivized to show their real life, to show the real thoughts. Um, and that, yeah, that's, that's why they do it. Um, maybe there, there could be other kind of reasons why they do it, like, building stories or anything like that but for the most part you know you're you're there as a reality tv kind of like person so be real and kind of show yourself is what they want so you said that you haven't decided if you're going to go on the next series or not is is that right well i don't like making decisions until i actually have to and There's just a few things that are preventing me from making the decision yet. So okay. I'm just not putting much thought towards it. And was it good fun being on it? Was it good fun going to the shoot and all that? Yeah, I thought that was great. Like I'd never been on a set or anything like that before, never acted. So it's just like a cool experience. You're like center of attention. Everyone's kind of focused on you. And yeah, it was definitely a cool experience. Got some good feedback from all kind of friends and family. So yeah, it definitely was a fun experience. Cool thing to do cool to like meet all the cast all that kind of thing so yeah it was fun 
And when you're sitting down there for three hours and they're, they're shooting for three hours, they only take what, six minutes of that. Yeah, so it's kind of like two to three hours in terms of entire time you're there, which is like, okay, show up, they're still setting up. You're kind of like sitting around and chatting to the producers. And then maybe it's like 30, 45 minutes of actually filming the conversation while you're just having this genuinely 45 minute long conversation. They take a very small part of it. And then after they'll want to get like kind of random shots of you walking in a road or opening the door just to kind of add to the scene um so yeah and how did you find all the the media work that you got after that i saw you were on uh were you on ryan toby at one point yeah yeah that was that was a bit of fun i was on that a couple of weeks ago um like normally wouldn't be uh, like a massive fan of having a name in newspapers and like going on that kind of thing but if there's benefits to it then why not and might as well like for instance i can talk about donna i can talk about nfts i can talk about my newsletter all of which heavily rely on a kind of community and a following so if there's an opportunity to get that out there then yeah why not take it what do you hope to achieve over the next three to five years oh three to five so i wrote my 2022 goals at the start of the year but haven't put too much thought recently into three to five but I guess thinking on the fly, one is definitely to make partner um, with Kenneth Partners for sure. Um, another one would be to, I really, I really want to make Donna Project into like a metaverse jewelry company where you actually sell jewelry in the metaverse. I think that's just such a cool thing to do. So I'm putting an awful lot of work into making that happen. It's more of a, a kind of media goal, but I mean, if it does work out in three to five years, it'll still be a success. And yeah, other than that, just kind of continue to have an enjoyable life where I'm having fun and doing exciting things. Nice. Um, on the metaverse, what is your thoughts on it? Some people think it's incredibly dystopian, this idea that our digital selves are going to matter more than our real lives. Uh, other people think it's, it's, it's exciting. Where do you stand? I think it's super exciting. It's like any tech, like, like with a lot of technologies, like, like even like AI is like great initial boost, but it's probably gonna, or at least Elon Musk thinks that it's gonna cause catastrophe in the future. And a lot of different sci-fi movies do like, and arguably the best thing is just to stop it, but it's impossible to stop technological process. It just keeps going and, and it's literally impossible to stop. So same thing goes through metaverse. Would we all be living better lives if we just weren't in any sort of metaverse like Instagram or anything like that? We probably would, but like, technology just progresses these things come out we just all get addicted to them and we keep getting more and more into it so it's kind of unavoidable i think and it's definitely going to be a big part of our lives already kind of is but i think it's really cool i think it's very exciting i don't think i'd be the person to spend eight hours walking around decentraland but i don't know i could just get excited about kind of new technologies and the metaverse is one that's easy to get excited about so i think it's cool and clearly i'm investing a lot of my spare time to actually try and really understand it by doing this project um, and try and sell jewelry into the metaverse so it creates lots of new opportunities which i think is cool too so yeah definitely exciting i actually plan on buying an oculus um at the end of this month just to kind of further understand it and try out the different metaverses around do you think that will be the main medium we'll use to access the metaverse i mean some kind of miniaturized version of it yes like okay. current form like mass adoption in like I don't know, five, 10 years, you would certainly hope that you could just put on a contact lens or like 
some kind of small device and then kind of experience it. And then further down the road again, the best one obviously would be like brain cognitive interface where I don't know how, it works. I think you have to get surgery to make it work today, but like something you just stick on the side of your head and you're just in the metaverse. You might be like asleep on your bed, walking around um, and just enjoy it that way. That, that'd be like the ultimate cool way to get the metaverse, but that seems way, quite a way off. Cool. Uh, Killian, I'm going to wrap it up there. To finish it, do you have any tips or advice on anyone who might be trying to achieve any goals this year? Or uh, You seem to be super productive and interwelling through, through the newsletter. So just wondering if there's any advice you can impart on the audience. Uh, advice? Jesus. Let me think. So I guess like, I don't know, I think like doing side projects is a really great thing to do. Like just pick something you're somewhat interested in and just run with it because once you do it for like a year or so you'll learn so much new opportunities will branch out and then you can just build on them and for me at least having like a side project from work keeps me very kind of motivated and excited because I have like both things I get a little bit bored of one at least I have this exciting one if that gets a bit boring at least I have my kind of like full-time job so definitely kind of start a side project and yeah, don't let perfection get in the way of progress. Just kind of put stuff out there and, and kind of give it a shot. And you'll, you'll learn an awful lot and kind of, you get more motivation from it. Like the, the newsletter started doing it, all of a sudden became way more motivated to actually read more books, be more productive, all that kind of thing. So it could really kind of push you forward, putting yourself out there and actually doing like side projects or anything else like that. All right, so Killian, thanks so much for coming on. I've really enjoyed this. Yeah, no at all. Cheers, Finn. Appreciate it.